Some call Guatemala the land of the eternal spring, and for good reason. Central America's most populous country is bursting with life year-round. From the richness of the forested Petén department in the north, home to the famous Tikal ruins, to the coffee plantations and cacao farms in the country's center, to the gorgeous Lake Atitlan and surrounding villages, Guatemala is a country rich with natural beauty. And yet, Guatemala is not often discussed as a place that people go to or live in, but rather a place that people come from. More specifically, Guatemala is principally discussed in international politics and media as an exporter of migrants, owing to the country's entrenched poverty and violence. And it's true. Hundreds of thousands of Guatemalans make the treacherous journey up north to the United States each year, risking everything in search of a better life. The history behind the political and economic instability that prompts so many Guatemalans to flee their country is rife with tragedy. And the hurdles to promoting a more stable growth path for Guatemala are numerous. But, as you'll hear in this episode, young Guatemalans are determined to change their country's fate. With our guest, Daniel Monteroso, we discuss the landscape of opportunities in Guatemala, disparities in access to health resources, and the long-standing challenge of northbound migration. We also reckon with the long, painful history of U.S. interventions in Guatemala and consider what a more humble and equitable U.S. partnership with the country would look like. Welcome back to Future America's podcast. Thanks so much for joining us as we continue our exploration of the identities, opportunities, and challenges that define life for the young people of the Americas. This week, we focus on Guatemala, Mexico's southern neighbor and the northernmost country in Central America. We speak with a friend of mine, Daniel Monteroso, who lives in Guatemala City and has a unique perspective on life in Guatemala amid the COVID-19 pandemic. Daniel Monterroso is 20 years old. He studies medicine in Rafael Landivar University and is the vice president of the university's student union. He hopes to become an internist or neurologist. He is very passionate about science and is amazed by the human body and how it works. His aspiration is to change a lot of people's lives through his work as a doctor. He also enjoys music and playing the piano, trying new food, and visiting new magical places in this country. So Daniel, thank you so much for joining us. We are very excited to talk more about uh, your experiences in Guatemala and uh, your studies as a soon-to-be doctor. Thank you to you too. I'm very excited to be here and I really hope that I can uh, teach and learn something from you and from all the listeners. Wonderful. So Daniel, we always uh, start out with, with our topic of identity, um, which is a, a key focus area for our podcast. Um, our first question for you is, is this. For you, what does it mean to be Guatemalan? For me, being Guatemalan is like uh, being from a little country that, know, that many people doesn't know. Uh, I really like when uh, people ask me like, 
uh, Guatemala, what's, what's Guatemala or where is it? Uh, so I can explain to them that we have a lot of things to show to the world, a lot of people, uh, good people who work hard and, and try to, to overcome the, the adversities and, and try to make Guatemala better. So then when, when do you feel most Guatemalan? I feel Guatemalan when, when I show people like what we can do, when I show uh, our food, our uh, places, and, and I show them how, how we are uh, a great country. And, and I feel like with maybe when some scientist uh, is recognized in, in somewhere in the world, or some artist with, with her or his music, and and Guatemala is like recognized in somewhere. I think that you're touching on a very important subject, which is that international recognition. Yeah. Um, and that shared identity, right? Um, that intertwines uh, all Guatemalans to feel proud when they see a Guatemalan being recognized for their accomplishments. But with that topic in mind, I want to talk a little bit more about uh, the Central American identity, right? And how Guatemala fits into that region. Because normally, you know, in the media and politics, Central America is often discussed in a block as a group of countries. So do you think that there is a quote, Central American identity or experience, something that ties all these countries together? Oh, yes, I think, um... Central America is a, it's a very unique place uh, because we share uh, our story. We are part of uh, Mesoamerica, uh, which is a part of the world we, that includes uh, Mexico, Peninsula, Yucatan, and goes to uh, Honduras and El Salvador. And we have uh, a lot of places that are similar because in this place, uh, the Mayan uh, civilization uh, was born here in Guatemala and in Mexico was the main places where they were built their cities and, and, and everything. So I think that that story uh, in a way unites us and, and in food and in traditions. I think that's the feeling here that we are a, a Mayan people in a Mayan country, as well as in Mexico and in Honduras. So I think, yes. And, and the other thing is that Central, Central America is a, a country with a lot of biodiversity. We have a lot of forests and the food that we have is very similar as well. We, we are based in, in corn. Uh, as well as beans and, and rice. That's our main uh, food. We also look very alike. <laughs> We're like Central Americas talk, talk the same and look the same. <laughs> uh, yeah, speaking about that, that Mayan heritage, um, when I visited Guatemala, we, you and I together visited the, the ruins of Tikal um, in the yeah. northern part of the country, which um, for those of our, our audience who have never heard of it, it is a, an amazing temple 
uh, complex uh, that was that was built by the Mayans. It was actually used in the movie um, in, in one of the Star oh, Wars movies. Yeah, yeah, right. So that was uh, you know a cool a cool thing to see. But but that yeah, you can see just the evidence of the Mayan identity throughout the country. No, I think that that's exactly it. Yeah, you you noted something that's super important, which is that there are these traditions and cultural ties that bind all the people of Central America and it tears down those borders, right? That um, so often in politics and economics and just in the social discourse, we focus on those borders without realizing that there are those similarities um, between, you know, these, the, these, in these regions between uh, these countries and that those ties are much more powerful than what a nationality or you know what what country your passport may say you're from right it's more about the food that we share the background that we have together and such but you know uh, similarly borders are something that uh, continue to exist and cannot be ignored and thinking a lot about what you just said about those cultural ties that you know bind Guatemalans with uh, the southern part of Mexico. Um, it'd be very interesting, you know, uh, for our audience and for ourselves to understand a little bit more about what the Guatemalan-Mexican border is like, especially since recently it has developed um, a more conflict-ridden character. So what would you say that the Guatemalan-Mexican relationship is like? Okay, yes, as, as you said, it's a very uh, difficult topic to talk because there's a conflict act uh, actually happening. We have a lot of migrants uh, from Honduras, El Salvador, and Guatemala who these people uh, are looking for going to the United States, but the Mexican government tried to stop them and the Guatemalan government too. Uh, there's a lot of uh, military forces and police who are trying to stop them in a, you can say a violent way. So that's that's reaching the global news because in some way they are uh, acting violent against some people who are looking for chances for getting a better life. And they travel in, in, in large groups because in this way they like protect each other. Uh, but yeah, it's a very difficult, situation to, to see and but the, the other way the the other thing about the Guatemala Mexican relationship is that uh, a lot of people likes going to the border uh, because uh, in there there's a there's a big market of of food and, and clothes and a lot, of, a lot of people go there to buy in better prices and mm -hmm. And sell them here so yeah it's a very uh, economically active uh, place so yeah and and also in the the western departments of Guatemala uh, they are the most poor people in the country uh, so that that situation also helps uh, this conflict that they try to go north for a better life. And I think, Daniel, the 
Mexico-Guatemala relationship when it comes to the immigration debate is one of the most interesting because Guatemala and Mexico are neighbors and they have a lot of cultural uh, similarities and, and uh, their, their ties between the countries, which then makes it unfortunate when there, is, there are tensions. But one thing that I wanted to ask about is uh, in Mexico, there is a dish called pipian, uh, which is a type of mole, it's very yummy. And then in Guatemala, there's a dish called pepian. So very similar in, in terms of name and, and also um, presumably in terms of ingredients, but I guess, how are they different? And then in your objective opinion, which is better? <laughs> okay, that's a difficult, difficult question. But I asked my grandmother, uh, who's uh, an expert in the topic in, <laughs> in food from Mexico and Guatemala. And pipian, uh, which is a dish from Mexico, it's a sauce made from toast and ground pumpkin seeds. And it's generally used uh, with pork and, and beef and rabbit. And it's 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 very it's very popular in Mexico. It's it's almost like mole. Uh, I think you have tried mole. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, the the difference is that pepian is more like a sauce made from different uh, chilies and tomatoes, different kinds and species. So it's a a, a brown and red coffee, uh, sauce. Uh, which is very very good. In fact, it's my my favorite uh, dish from from Guatemala. And there are a lot of kinds of pepian and pipian, uh, depending of the kind of chiles and and tomatoes that you use. Tomatoes, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> right. You see, I I have tried both. Um, both are very yummy. I, in my personal experience, I have to say that pipian I like. A little bit more, but I've had more of that. I had a lot of pipian made by my host mom when I was in Mexico, whereas I've only had pipian once. And so maybe I need to. Uh, does, does your abuela make a good pipian? Oh, yes. yes. Okay. So maybe we, <laughs> we need to try that one. Get the, get yeah. the best quality pipian and el país yeah. and, and see, see what it's like. Yeah, definitely. You have to try the. The best quality, I think, is from Chimaltenango and Antigua, Guatemala. Mm. The, yeah, it's very, very good. And Pipian is also good, but I think Pipian wins. <laughs> <laughs> we'll make plans afterwards for our uh, trip to start collecting uh, more objective data. And you know, yeah, yeah, we're, we're, we're very serious we about, the, about the data. Um, <laughs> so we were speaking a bit about migration issues and on that topic, it's impossible to avoid discussing the U.S.-Guatemala relationship because that is also a key dynamic with the U.S. kind of trying to get Guatemala to, to rein in some groups of migrants who are coming up north. But I actually am thinking about the U.S.-Guatemala relationship. I wanted to go back a little bit further because I think that in the United States, our memory of that relationship is, is very short. Um, which is to say that we we think about it as, ah, there are Guatemalans coming today, but we don't think back to the very 
real and, and tragic impact that the United States has had in Guatemala. So a bit on that history, in the early 20th century, Guatemala was ruled um, by, by a number of dictators, uh, most of which were supported by the United States and the United Fruit Company, which was a major exporter of bananas. It is now Chiquita Bananas. That's the, the new brand that that's under. Um, but that was, they, they cornered the market on, on bananas in Central America. And they did this by uh, winning, and, and some would say even coercing um, huge concessions from, from local governments. So in Guatemala, they were exempted from most taxes. They were granted huge tracts of land and they were given guarantees of low wages for the workers that they would employ. So these companies really dominated, uh, or, or the United Fruit Company really dominated Guatemala and Guatemalan politics for many years. Then came uh, October 20th of 1944, Guatemalan's military government was overthrown, uh, leading to the country's first free election. The two presidents who were elected thereafter initiated some, some much needed reforms. Um, the need of, for those reforms was actually recognized by the World Bank as well as by the, the Guatemalan government. They increased funding for education, had a more liberal labor law, and they did engage in some land reform, trying to repurpose uncultivated land to landless peasants. This uh, uh, angered the United Fruit Company and they decided to leverage their power to try to change things in a, in a unfortunately in a very, um, violent way ultimately. So they launched a public relations campaign to uh, paint Guatemala as a communist power, um, even though this was false, this was plainly false. Um, and then in 1954, the United States um, through the CIA uh, carried out a coup against uh, the government of uh, Jacobo um, Arbenz. Um, and in the 30 years that followed, uh, Guatemala was governed by a number of dictators uh, supported by the United States and the country was just um, fell into, into conflict and fighting between the, the right-wing dictatorships and rebel groups, uh, costing thousands of lives and then particularly costing um, tens of thousands of, of Mayan lives um, in, in, in a, what's been termed a genocide. Um, so this is uh, the, the sad history of the two countries, which most Americans, most, most people from the United States do not know, but which Guatemalans have to live with um, and live with the consequences uh, every day. And so that's the context I wanted to situate us in. And based on that, I wanted to ask you, what do you want people in the United States to know about Guatemala? Um, I think it's very important to know the, 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 this history that you told us. The, it's very important because uh, we are in nowadays we are seeing the consequences uh, and i think it's important to know that the the united states has uh, greatly influenced in our politics and in our society and always with the excuse that they are restoring democracy and they and they are abolishing socialism socialism and i feel that the united states has been dominating uh, our governments, not only in Guatemala, but also in Central America and, and the Caribbean. 
In fact, it's well known that during the Trump administration, the uh, corrupt groups of people managed to accentuate in the in the in the government, and they also managed to expel an international organization that was trying to fight them and was trying to fight the corruption in the government. And and we know that without the approval of the United States, it's this hasn't happened. This. So I think the, the United States is always um, influencing or yeah, in, in our countries. And it's always like looking looking us as as some kind of, of country where they can uh, win something <laughs> from the our agriculture, our products. Um, but we also, I think we also depend of them economically because they are our large uh, market uh, for, for exportation. So yeah, there's, there's a very uh, strong binding between the countries. Right. Yeah. And I think you're right that there is that economic relationship, but it's an imbalanced one where Guatemala needs the United States and its economy, but the United States doesn't have as much of a need. And so the United States is able to dictate the terms of that relationship, um, which yeah. it has abused many times over in the past. Um, and so we hope that in this current administration and in the future administrations, there is more respect for Guatemala. But um, I think that there still remains, as we said, a lack of understanding of the history that we have in the country and, and the, the, the consequences that that has had and, and what I guess we owe to the Guatemalan people because of that. Yeah, I, I don't think you like, I won't say that you owe <laughs> because that's, that's like something that we also did bad, this government, these people. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's true that they have their approval and that they let them do everything uh, meanwhile, they are, uh, like you said, exploding our our resources. Uh, it's well known with minery, and we know there other things that the United States companies are here, and not not, not only the United States, but but mainly uh, these companies. And mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's important to know that uh, also not only in Guatemala, but in, in other poor countries like uh, the Caribbean and the other Central America countries, they suffer the same thing. And uh, so, uh, shifting gears a little bit, another important topic that we like to cover are the opportunities that exist in countries. Um, so, thinking about Guatemala, all right, and mainly the younger generation in Guatemala, how do you perceive the opportunities that are currently available to young Guatemalans? I think that's a, that's a very difficult topic also because here uh, in the academic context, uh, we don't have a lot of opportunities. Uh, people who go to college are very, a very small part of the population. I would say like three to five percent of the population 
managed to go to college and there are not a lot of them also uh, they are uh, centered in the the main city of Guatemala uh, we have a we have a public uh, university uh, which is the the main one where all the people will try to go and we also have a uh, private universities um, I think the education that we have here it's good but it's not like uh, other other countries education like in Mexico or in the United States uh, well known worldwide but here uh, yeah the, the main problem is that not a lot of people can let themselves study because of their needs and their I would say like uh, they need to work more than study because they need the money and they need the, the salaries and they have to sometimes uh, young people here we have like a problem with with young women getting pregnant that's a very uh, difficult situation and sometimes we have a, a lot of young families with young people that doesn't have a work or and they get pregnant and th yeah that's a, a difficult a difficult situation but going back to the opportunities uh, for people who uh, who don't study in the in the university and there's a i would say there's a that's there's few opportunities we have a problem with with that and most of the people just go to a high school or, or even just the primary or elementary studies and and they can't afford to to go to a nice job or to uh, have a nice salary so uh, yeah that's the main reason also for the a lot of population that that are poor And Danielle, do you think that thinking about the, you, you mentioned the inequalities and opportunities available to people, um, for people who do manage to graduate from universities, do you think that there are opportunities, there, there are sufficient quality opportunities to attract those people to um, you know, stay in Guatemala and, and pursue their vocation there? Or do you think that more people want to go elsewhere outside of the country? I think uh, a lot of people would like to go outside and, and go to, to study something in, in the United States or in Europe. But uh, there's also not more, not not a lot of a lot of opportunities. Um, I think there are there are some people like in my my friends, and I have some friends who managed to go with a scholarship to study in the in Europe. Uh, I think a lot of people like me would like that, but there's also not a lot of not a lot of opportunities. Uh, I think the 
sorry. I think people uh, with money, with the. <laughs> I'm sorry, how do you say? En la élite. The elite. The elite. Okay, I think people in the in the elite, they can afford to pay the uh, an, an an university in the United States or in in Mexico. They can afford to pay the trip and to pay living there, but that's as I said, like very little portion of the population. T taking a different angle to this issue of inequality and and of um, disparate access to, to the things that are necessary for a good life. So you are a doctor in training. So what are your thoughts on access to health resources in Guatemala? And I guess, how, what, what are the inequalities that you see in that system? Okay, our system is a has a lot of problems. Um, for a context, I, I I want to explain a little about our health system. It is mainly made up of public and private sectors. The public sector um, is the Ministry of Public Health and normally provides like care to 70% of the population. And Secondly, we have the the Guatemalan Social Security Institute, uh, which offers uh, like twenty percent of the population who are linked to a formal employee. These two, they they offer good quality, but not the best. Uh, they offer like um, little hospitals and health centers, but they can't. Uh, afford doing a, a risky operation, uh, which in, in this case, you have to go to a private, um, to the private sector, which turns to uh, provide health to around 10 to 12% of the population. And it's very expensive. Yeah, sorry. So the 12% of Guatemalans uh, go to private sector and it's a good it's a good healthcare, but it's very expensive, and not all can afford to go to these places, and and they are also only in the in the main cities like Guatemala City, and we also have a. We don't have a lot of of, of doctors around the country. We have. We have them here in the in the city, so the most part of the population can't go to a good doctor because they have to travel a lot, like five to six hours, to see a doctor and pay them. So the trip gets very expensive for them. So they prefer to like go to a more cheaper one. That's really such an important topic that you touch on because there are these incurred costs that you mentioned, right? That people normally don't think about when it comes to uh, the development of a health system, right? It's not just 
um, the technology per se, but also like you noted the infrastructure, right? And how that impacts how access, how easy it is to get to a um, doctor, right? Relative to an, another one or different facilities um, and, and just the services that are provided. So with that in mind, how would you say that the Guatemalan health system, you know, managed the pandemic? And would you say that the pandemic was a type of alarm for the government to change it, change something? I think that the, the, the pandemic uh, was very, was a, was very difficult for, for us because as in right now, uh, we haven't vaccinated uh, our, our people. <laughs> we just have like vaccinated like 200,000 uh, people, which are like 1% of the population. So we are very struggling there because uh, our government can't afford the, the vaccines. And they also are trying to make business with them. So I think they're, they're trying to buy the Sputnik vaccine but there are some problems, so we are still spec expecting from like three weeks ago, they said, yes, we're going to buy 300,000 doses so we can vaccine our elder people. But that was three weeks, three weeks ago. So I think like next month we're, we're starting that, that phase. So, yeah. Are your grandparents vaccinated yet? No, my great my grandparents still are not vaccinated. When would you be eligible to be vaccinated? Um, if I, if I was not a, a, a healthcare worker, uh, I would, ha um, I would be able to, to get the vaccine like in next year, like, April or May next year. Yeah, we are we're very slow and we're very we are struggling with the the strategics to to get to all the people. And I think that's such an important piece of information to bring up, especially because the vaccine distribution has been so uneven around the world. There are countries such as the US and certain countries in Europe per se, um, where the vaccine distribution has been more robust, uh, definitely uneven. And people in those countries have this perception that the pandemic's over and that you know by the time the summer comes around, we'll all be walking around maskless um, at parks. But it's important for people to realize that that's not the case for most parts of the world. Like you've noted in Latin America and Guatemala is that example, uh, the vaccine distribution is behind and there is much more of a global effort that needs to be done, which starts with that recognition and understanding that it's not as it seems, right, as in, for us locally, if we think that we're out of the pandemic um, because the U.S. happens to have access to all these different vaccines, 
that's not the case yes. around the world. And it is this global effort uh, for all of us to overcome this situation. Just that's, that's important because the, here in Guatemala, the Indian government like donated a lot of doses. And that's the, when I said like 200,000, that was the part of the donation of the Indian government. That, that wasn't even our government buying the vaccines and trying to help us because it, it was like the global effort. And we are hoping actually that the United States finish their, their process so that they can like uh, bring the vaccines that uh, were left to us <laughs> or something. And also I know, I know people who are traveling, to our, who are going to the United States just to get the vaccine because there they have, they have like uh, more than uh, the half like right we have more than we need more than we need for sure yeah um yeah. and danielle thinking about more about the the impact of the pandemic and how it's changed the health system i wanted to ask personally for you has the pandemic changed how you think about your career in medicine and the kind of impact that you want to have uh, for for all of us uh, it was very difficult to continue studying but i was a little lucky because in these first three years uh, i have to to do a lot of uh, uh, just academic no knowledge, just getting knowledge, but not not going to to the practice, and and I I was able to do it in my home, in my house, so uh, I was able to continue studying. So, but for many people who were doing their practices, it was very difficult because they had to stop going to hospitals and stop going to to all the, the places that they were supposed to to go and they stopped learning because medicine is all about practice. So they like get behind because they now have to do another year. Our career is very long. It's like seven to eight years. And imagine adding uh, one year more because of the pandemic. So that's very difficult. And I think I'm very lucky because I didn't get behind, so, but yeah, I think I learned, and I hope next year I, I go to practice in the hospital every day, and it's going to be hard with all the now equipment and the limitations that we have, but but yeah, I'm, I'm excited to continue, uh, more than a bad thing, I think it's, it was a, a good thing for me for learning, because this is the type of things that you only see in books. Like we learn in, in history that there was a pandemic and now we are living it, so. And, and that's so good to hear that you have that optimism because it is with that optimism that um, real change can be pushed forward and driven. So with that in mind, that talking about this optimism and the changes that uh, the younger generation of Guatemalans hope to see in the coming years. Do you think that young Guatemalans really feel that they have the power 
to change their country or to change their system? I don't think we know. We, we young people know that we have the power. But actually we have the power. So uh, I think the main problem is that we don't know our 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 sort of yeah we don't know what we have to do because i think we are like ignoring or letting apart the problems that we have we're focusing of on ourselves and letting behind the people who really needs the change like i said most of our population in guatemala who who are not able to to access to a good health or to a good quality of life and and here in the in the city we are privileged with studying with electricity with good health and and, and i think we forget about them and we forget that we can do a change from our places like where we are from hoping to do better when we become a, a doctor and a professional and yeah the, the I think that I can make a change uh, right now, but also uh, I can make a change when when I get to be there and and to have an opportunity to change the the system. Um, Absolutely. So, Daniel, to finish off our discussion, as we talk about these complex issues uh, related to social conflicts and um, all the challenges that we face. I wanted to ask you our, our, our most important question here near the end, um, which is this. Why is Guatemalan food the best in Latin America? <laughs> okay. Oh, that's really difficult for me because I really like uh, all the food from all the countries from Latin America, or at least the ones that I have tried. Um, but yeah, I really enjoy my food <laughs> and I really miss it when I, when I go out for, and to another, to another countries. But I think that's, it's very diverse. You can get like, uh, recados and you could, you can get desserts or dishes and and a lot of, of a lot of ways to get corn. <laughs> you can have tortillas and you can have tamales and tostadas and I hope you will look for them now that I said. <laughs> yes, of course. Um, and and I think a related question that I am that I am interested in is one thing that I noticed, even as there are similarities between Mexico and Central America and similar uh, types of foods. Each country has their own types of tortillas. So Guatemala's tortillas, for those who haven't seen them or, or had them, are a bit thicker than Mexican tortillas. And they're kind of the, uh, they, they kind of reminded me of pancakes a little bit in their, their thickness. So why, why is Guatemala right? Why do they have the, the, the right kind of tortilla? And why is everyone else uh, getting it wrong? <laughs> I think that ours, uh, you can eat them with everything, with with breakfast and with meal and with with everything. I, I also have tried them with uh, some uh, sweet things and they are very good. Uh, I think that 
like you said, they are thicker, so you can get like a, a, a better bite of them. <laughs> and we also have a lot of kinds of, of corns, like we have black and red and yellow tortillas. So it, it's very uh, cool to see a, a different kinds of colors and yeah, it's, a, it's an experience that you have to, to try. Well, we definitely look forward to uh, we for when the pandemic ends so that we can really mm. get the opportunity to try these uh, delicious Guatemalan tortillas. Uh, um, and we'll definitely make sure to include uh, your grandma in that so that she can really give us that insight of what makes uh, the Guatemalan cocina so, so delicious and so good. <laughs> but yeah that will be interesting yeah but uh with that daniel we want to say thank you so much for joining us today and for helping us out um to give us this better insight into into uh what's going on in, in guatemala and just uh teaching us so much about uh your country so thank you so much and we're very excited to also uh see the path of uh this uh that you will achieve as this up and rising doctor no thank you to you for having me and i was was very it's what it, it was a very good uh, talk and i hope i i led you something and and i teach you something with my little knowledge <laughs> and i hope to see you very soon here in guatemala Join our tortillas.